Amen. Well, we come to him now as we have the privilege of hearing from his word. You'll have to bear with me this morning. I'm feeling still a little under the weather, unfortunately. <laughs> this whole week we've been sick, and uh, I was hoping you know, to be feeling a little bit better, but um, if you see me blowing in a tissue or drinking extra water, that, that explains why. Um, this morning we'll be hearing from a psalm. As we are entering in this Advent season, our series this Advent will be focusing on hope, breaking in. Uh, into the hopelessness that's all around us, maybe the hopelessness that we've felt or experienced over the past year. And this morning, as we look at Psalm 130, uh, we'll think about this hope uh, that breaks in uh, to the darkness of this world. So please turn with me to Psalm 130. This is the word of the Lord, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray together. O oh Lord, we need you. We need to hear from you this morning. So please meet us in this place. Bring your holy light into the darkness of our night. Lift us up to yourself, that our hearts would be enlivened and our minds would be changed. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Have you ever been pinned down by someone? You know, held down physically so that you were unable to move. Maybe it was a bigger sibling <laughs> or a friend uh, older than you. But if you're in that place, you're pinned down, you can't move, you can't get on your feet, you can't do anything. So you tap out, right? You say, I'm done. <laughs> well, in many ways, this is the author's context in Psalm 130. And if we're honest, in many ways, this is our context today. Uh, maybe you feel like the author. Maybe you're feeling pinned down. Uh, maybe by a sense of emptiness and shame or by the heaviness of life in this fallen world. Um, have you felt pinned down this week? This month? This past year? If so, you need to know that there is hope. There is hope, and we're going to look at this psalm under three main headings. Desperation, consideration, and redemption. Desperation, consideration, and redemption. And friends, there is good news for those of you who are feeling pinned down. <laughs> there is good news. Um, if you're feeling like life is hopeless, or you're just stuck on this carousel of a bad situation, and you've lost hope for change. 
We can wait for the Lord with confident hope because he will surely redeem his people. That's what I want you to take away this morning, that we can wait for the Lord with confident hope because he will surely redeem his people. So our first heading, desperation. Christmas time is upon us. (laughs) It's the happiest season of all. But sometimes it feels like a mad dash of activity, gatherings, feastings, gift exchanges, traveling, and so on. Especially after a year like the one we had with the results of the post-pandemic pandemic. How are you feeling? Maybe this psalm can give words to our condition. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Out of the depths. This is a place of utter desperation. The depths bring to mind the place where death reigns. It's like the psalmist is drowning in the sea. The depths are this place of hopelessness and fear. It's like the belly of the great fish that swallowed Jonah. Surely he was going to die. But it's also from this place of darkness that the psalmist does something amazing, unnatural even. He cries out to the Lord. And do you hear the passion in his cry? Verse 2, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive. God doesn't actually have ears, but right, he's saying, please hear me. Hear my cry for mercy. Friends, this cry is amazing and unnatural to us because the natural inclination of all of us is to rely on our own strength, our own abilities, our own resources in order to fix our problems. And the thing that makes that option appealing is that sometimes it actually kind of works for a while. But what happens on that dark night when we find ourselves in the depths, pinned down with no hope of escape? Well, our world tells us that there's always hope. Work a little harder, try, try again. If you're optimistic, you could say, you know, wait, wait a little bit and, and things will get better. This, this too shall pass. After all, we need hope to keep us alive. One of my favorite movies is uh, Rogue One. You might know it's the Star Wars film. Uh, and it takes place just before the events of Star Wars Episode Four, the very first Star Wars movie that came out. And well, what's interesting about this movie is that several times in the movie, the, the rebel characters, right, the main protagonists, Jin Erso and Cassian Andor, well, they're up against what seems like unbeatable enemies, impossible odds. The, imper- the imperial forces, right? And while they're facing this, the refrain is, rebellions are built on hope. Maybe they'll make it, maybe they won't. But it's this hope that keeps them going, despite the imminent danger to their lives and the lives of everyone in the galaxy. In many ways, their uncertainty about whether or not they'll actually make it is what makes the movie exciting. <laughs> we don't, I mean, we kind of know, you know, something, something happens here, but we don't know exactly what's going to, you know, will they succeed? Will they fail? Is this the way the, the Bible speaks about hope, though? In this psalm, the author is 
facing something actually far more sinister than evil imperial forces. <laughs> He's wrestling with the depth of his own depravity, the enemy within. He's experiencing a deep sense of his neediness before God. He knows that time and inertia cannot fix him. It will only bring him further into the pit. This is a miserable place to be. But it's also in the depths that we learn that our only hope must exist outside of us, outside of ourselves. It forces us to say, there must be something somewhere else I can turn. Where else can I turn? Are you feeling this way? What about you? Are you feeling the heavy burden of your guilt before God? Do you struggle to find a ray of hope in the darkness of this life? Do you feel that death may swallow you up at any moment? Only when we begin to understand and experience the depths of our own ruin and will that desperation drive us to cry out, to cry out to God for mercy. But friends, if our sin runs this deep, will God even hear us? So consider with me. That's our second heading, consideration. Have you ever prayed and felt like no one was listening? Like everything you were saying was just kind of bouncing off the walls and, and going nowhere? Why do we sometimes feel like that? Let's consider together verse 3. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? The psalmist is considering something very important here. Why would God have anything to do with us in our sin and filth? I mean, if God is holy and just, if he kept a record of all the ways that we have sinned and all the ways we have failed to love our neighbors as ourselves, all the ways we have turned from God to lesser things, none of us would survive. Reformation pastor John Calvin said it this way, Should God determine to deal with us according to the strict demands of his law and to summon us before his tribunal, not one of the whole human race would be able to stand. This is a fearful truth. Our sin goes deep, right to the very core of our being. Who among us can say that we've kept ourselves unstained, righteous, holy before God? Friends, if God gave us what we deserve, none of us could stand. So what hope do we have? His consideration continues, though. Verse 4. But with you, he says, with you, Lord, there is forgiveness. So that we can, with reverence, or other translations say, so that we can fear you, so that you may be feared. Um, it's right that this translation uses the word reverence, because that's the kind of fear that he's talking about. But it is surprising, when you first read that forgiveness is the reason to fear the Lord. 
Maybe he meant to write something like, with you there is perfect justice that you may be feared. <laughs> well, it's actually God's forgiveness that gives us a greater reason to fear. And it's not a servile fear like dread and terror, despair, but a fear of wonder, reverence, and awe. You see, God's forgiveness means that a relationship with him is not based on whether or not we are slightly better than other people or if our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds. We can have a relationship with God because he meets us with forgiveness when we cry out to him in faith. If God's justice were all that we knew, it would inspire a real fear, dread, and terror. We would always be running away from him, never, never certain that we would be okay. Yet here we read that God's forgiveness inspires a greater fear, the wonder of his mercy to sinners who deserve only judgment. It's this godly fear that moves us to draw near. We want to be close to this one who meets us with grace and kindness, goodness and mercy. Have you considered the wonder of God's mercy lately? Does it seem like a fairy tale? Does it seem too good to be true? Surely I need to bring something to the table. But friends, the moment we try to add something that we've done to what God has promised, at that very point, our hope becomes uncertain. Maybe we've done enough. Maybe we haven't. But the very foundation of Christian hope is God's complete and perfect forgiveness. He has done the work. And that brings us to our third heading. It's slightly longer. Redemption. How can we be certain, then, that God will forgive us? Only one reason. His word. Look with me at verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. You see, in the Old Testament, here the psalmist could draw on God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His promise to bless the world through the, his offspring. He, he could look to the covenant that God made with David that a king would reign forever, sitting on the throne of Israel. At the end of the day, the psalmist was waiting for the fulfillment of God's word. What he had promised, his steadfast love to Israel, the redemption that would come by the son of David the son of Abraham, who would crush the head of the serpent. The psalmist had hope because of who God is and what he had promised and revealed in his word. But his hope meant waiting. The psalmist waits for the Redeemer to come. But the same is also true of us, New Testament believers. We, too, are called to wait in a different way. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 writes this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The psalmist was looking forward to the Redeemer to come. As Christians, we look back in time and know that our Redeemer has come. God's word has been fulfilled, and yet still, we wait. For what? We wait for the consummation of God's promise. That he will one day bring the fullness of his redemption to the whole world. Everything made new, a new heavens and a new earth. This is what we wait for, friends. But it's hard. <laughs> it's hard to wait, isn't it? Waiting in line is the worst. Waiting in traffic. Waiting for your Amazon package to arrive. Waiting for your promotion. Waiting for your kids to grow out of diapers. Waiting for our pandemic world to go back to normal. Waiting is hard. And that's actually one reason, another reason I love Disneyland. <laughs> Some of you may know that I do love Disneyland. <laughs> um, but at Disneyland, for the most popular rides, you may know this, there's a little clock right above it that tells you how long you're going to wait. I love that. <laughs> um, but it's, it's funny that some, for some of these rides, the, the wait time may be well over two hours. But still, people get in the line. They're, they're willing to wait that long. It's, that's a pretty long time. Um, why? Why would someone wait that long for something? Well, it's worth it, right? The awesomeness of the experience is worth the wait. And you know, as people are waiting in line, they're, they're talking to one another, they're, they're keeping their eyes open to make sure, you know, that the line is moving, that they're moving with it. Um, and all the while, they, they keep trusting, right, that they're going to be on that ride soon enough. Eventually, right, we'll get there. Um, but then the ride breaks down. <laughs> or suddenly, uh, it's closed temporarily, we don't know why. Um, you know, what if you're standing there and you just can't make it through the line? You're, you're lured away by the delicious smells of the churros. Um, friends, we, <laughs> we, ha we have a better hope. We have a hope not like the world gives. We have a confident hope that our Redeemer Jesus has done everything that we need to secure our place with God and bring us home. You see, Jesus ultimately, is the one who hoped in the word of God without failing. He walked with God in confidence, and yet he experienced the full depths of our sinfulness. He took it upon himself when he took all of our guilt and shame on himself. Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
You see, he received no promise of mercy. Jesus faced the perfect justice of God in our place so that we can know his mercy and forgiveness. So that our despair might be turned in to confident hope. Friends, Jesus' redemption is plentiful, abundant, more than enough for any and all who would come to him in faith. So come. He is faithful. And he will redeem you once and for all. His resurrection is your guarantee. But for now, we wait. And our waiting means at least three things. I want to draw three points of application before we close. Praying, watching, and trusting. Our waiting looks like praying, watching, and trusting. So first, praying. And that's how our psalm begins. We wait for the Lord by bringing our hearts to Him. Our fears, yes, our sins, our desires, our burdens... We wait by talking to God. Through all the ups and downs of life, we ask Him to provide for our needs according to His will, to bring healing and blessing in His time, to give us strength to walk in His way, to bring honor to His name. We pray. Second, waiting means watching watching. Because it's foolish to pray that God would do something and then not be on the lookout for his answer. Yet, how often I'm guilty of this. The psalmist here waits for the Lord. More than the watchman for the morning. And watchmen know that the morning is coming. <laughs> so they're careful not to fall asleep until the sun rises. So we watch for the Lord. Not only to answer our prayers here and now, but ultimately to come and to usher in the fullness of his kingdom in this world. We watch for the return of King Jesus. And friends, like the rising sun, it's only a matter of time until he comes. And third, we wait by trusting. We pray, we watch for the Lord, and we trust in his unchanging promises. God has spoken. He has told us that we are his people. He is our God. He has promised to redeem us and fit us for heaven, to wash us whiter than snow. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. He has promised to be gracious and merciful to us. In his word, we have hope that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Waiting is difficult for all of us, but it doesn't seem as hard when we're actively looking forward to what lies ahead. We have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, friends. We are bound for glory. And so the psalmist says, Israel, church, Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. 
we have reason to hope. The night may be dark, but the day will surely dawn. And so to conclude, I want to ask again, are you feeling desperate? Have you considered the steadfast love of the Lord? Are you clinging to the redemption that you have in Jesus? The hope that keeps you going. Friends, we can wait for the Lord with confident hope because He will surely redeem His people. So people of God, hope in the Lord. He is full of steadfast love and faithfulness. He never changes His promises. His promises are true. So let's wait for Him together. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, teach us patience. Teach us what it is to hope in you and to know that your promises are true. Help us to cling to you, O oh Lord. And give us grace for the challenges that we face uh, every day, uh, the darkness that is all around us. And may we look to you with the eyes of faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's the right time um, to come to the Lord with our confession because he pricks our consciences. He, he reveals the ways that our hearts have been prone to wander, the ways that our lives have turned from his purposes. And when we confess, we actually are being stripped of a hypocrisy. <laughs> We're openly acknowledging that we are sinners in need of grace. And thankfully, we have assurance of his pardon. I'd like to pray this prayer aloud together with you all, um, and then give us a moment for silent confession uh, to bring those personal sins to the Lord as he brings them to mind. Uh, so let's join our voices together as we pray this prayer aloud, saying, our glorious God, you are light, and in you there is no darkness at all. Yet we live in the darkness, O Lord. Our sin and guilt overwhelm us. We confess that we have loved the darkness, lest our evil deeds should be exposed. But we expose them now to you. O searcher of our hearts, forgive us, cleanse us, Shine into our hearts the light of the knowledge of your glory in the face of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The assurance of pardon is called that assurance because it has nothing to do with you. It has only to do with the finished work of Jesus on your behalf. And so here, people of God, his promise to you, you 
are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Brothers and sisters in Christ, know that God promises to you that your sins are washed away and that you are no longer in darkness but in his light and know for a fact that your sins indeed are forgiven. Praise be to God.